Hello everybody, it's Sephora, and welcome back or welcome to Character Diary. On this podcast, I have conversations with people from all different walks of life, and I hear their story. We deep dive into topics such as love, loss, success, and tragedy. The purpose of Character Diary is to spread love, connection, empathy, and stories, which, in my humble opinion, are some of the most important things in the world. Today, I am so excited to be joined by the lovely Kate better known on YouTube as KSMR. Hi, thank you for having me. Kate is an ASMR YouTuber who, at the time of recording this interview, had 125,000 subscribers on YouTube and currently has 127,000 subscribers on YouTube. She makes a variety of videos, including unboxing videos, eating videos, tapping videos, and role plays such as ASMR registering you to vote and ASMR, helping Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriend with her Algebra 2 homework. That's hilarious, by the way, Kate. Props to you. In this episode, Kate and I are going to be deep diving into her personal life as well as her life on social media. We're going to talk about the death of her older sister when Kate was younger and how that impacted the rest of her life. We're going to talk about Kate's experiences with depression and anxiety, and Kate and I are going to kind of get into a bit of a discussion about anxiety and social anxiety since I also have social anxiety and I really related to a lot of what Kate was saying. We will also talk about Kate's romantic relationships, her time in college, and her struggle to find her identity after college. Finally, we will discuss Kate's ASMR channel, KSMR, her life on YouTube, and then where she is today. So Kate, let's start at the very beginning. Where and when were you born? So I was born on July 16th, 1996 at 4.11 p.m. For anyone who wants my natal chart, there you go, in Daytona Beach, Florida. Right before we go on with the interview, I just, I have to ask, I watched Netflix's Cheer in January and I was obsessed and I was just wondering, you know, you lived in Daytona Beach, were you like aware of the cheer competitions that happened there every single year. So it was so funny when cheer came out because a friend actually told me about it. This friend is not from Daytona and said, oh, the show's about Daytona. You should watch it. It looks so cool. And it's so hilarious to watch it because all of these incredible drone shots of this beautiful Daytona Beach scenery. It's like, this is just where people go to like smoke weed. I don't know. I wasn't a part of that, but it was so funny that Daytona was this like jewel of the country or something for these kids. I loved that show though. And as far as the competitions go, the only time I had sort of an inkling of what was going on, because I really had no idea this was going on until that series came out, I used to work at the mall that was near the band show where they had this competition. And I remember every summer these girls coming in with the cheer bows and everything. And I was like, what is going on? And so five years later, figured out what was happening. But no, it was so crazy that this was a huge national thing and I had no idea what was going on. So you grew up with both your parents, although your dad is a lot older than your mom and you said that that put a strain on your relationship when you were younger. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so my dad is a boomer just, you know, by definition. I wouldn't say he has the boomer personality, but he's just older, grew up in a different time. 
And I know he had a really hard childhood, so I think that sort of manifested in how we were raised. Um, it sort of fractured our relationship, to be honest, for a while. Now we're so close. I love my dad, and I've always been much closer to my mom. I think the age difference definitely contributed to that, but I'm thankful that we have a good relationship now. So you had an older sister when you were growing up, and you know what, do you just want to tell that story? Yeah, so my older sister, her name was Abby. She is no longer alive. My whole, you know, thing with this is my sister's dead, peace sign. Like, it's very casual. It's fine. Um, But what happened was I was seven and she had just turned 10. And it was a few days before Christmas. She got really sick suddenly, and to be honest, this whole period of time is kind of a blur. I'm sure a lot of it has been involuntarily blocked out of my mind, and I think she was in the hospital for maybe a week, and I have been told that it was staph infection, but there was a whole thing going on. I don't know if this was a national issue or it was just in our area, but there was, I guess, a big flu problem at the time, and I remember that someone told me reporters came to my elementary school. Uh, I don't know what to do there, (laughs) just maybe the scenery to show where she went to school. And they reported it as this pneumonia or a flu. And I remember my parents were so mad because that's not at all what happened. Um, So it's just, you know, it's just part of my life. It's definitely, I guess you could say a tragic backstory, but it was more of just like a formative moment for me. Like I definitely wouldn't be who I am if it hadn't happened, which is unfortunate. Um, But that's sort of the gist. It's quite a long thing that, like I said, has been really repressed. And I don't think I'll ever be able to unlock a lot of it because it was just so long ago. So one thing that I forgot to mention uh, about when she died, you know, little seven-year-old me, little tyke, I was pulled onto the couch and my pastor was there because we went to church at the time. And they told me that she died and I was like, word, okay. And then our pastor said, he had this whole anecdote. He had this envelope and a piece of paper inside. He was like, you know, when you get a letter, you take the letter and you keep it and you throw the envelope away. And when someone dies, God doesn't need the body. God keeps the important part. And then he gave me a bag of old people lemon drop candy, which I guess I liked at the time. But now looking back, I'm pissed. Like, you just told me this whole anecdote about my sister's body getting chucked. And now I have this shitty candy. So that was great for seven-year-old me. Very exciting. Uh, And as far as the praying goes, yeah, I did still believe in God for a little bit. After that, I don't anymore, obviously. I don't know what kid would after this whole situation. But I remember I would go into my parents' bathroom, literally shitting on the toilet and being like, please, God, I want a younger sibling. I don't want to be an only child. And when my parents told me that they were pregnant with a younger sibling, I remember very clearly we were at Cracker Barrel, my favorite place at the time, and they told me I was going to have a younger sibling, and I told them, I'm so happy because I prayed in the bathroom for this. (laughs) And now I have my younger brother. 
who is great. We have such a good relationship. I'm so grateful that I prayed on the toilet all those times when I was seven and eight because he's the best. He's 10 years younger than me and we have a very special bond. I think that he won't really ever fully understand just because of what has happened to me before he was born. But he, I don't love anyone more than I love him. Like he's my best friend. I always want to talk to him about everything. And I think as far as siblings go, we have kind of I, a really special relationship. We never really fight. We never argue. And I love him. He's great. You actually got your start on social media long before your ASMR channel. When you were 10 years old, you created a YouTube channel called Bang the Keys 01, where you uploaded videos of you playing piano. Talk about that. Yes, I was a little influencer at the time, or so I thought. I think maybe I had 30 subscribers at most. I remember that was my first brush with internet friends because we would have, you know, mutuals who also did kind of the same thing. I'm sure they were kids too. And I thought I was the coolest kid in school because I had a YouTube channel, even though I didn't tell anyone about it. So then I got to middle school and found out the double meaning of the word bang and I was so embarrassed that I deleted my channel and every single video that I put on it and looking back now I'm so upset I did that because I would love to see what's on there. I feel like the word that people would use to describe your romantic life in middle school and in high school wouldn't be, say, flourishing. You had one relationship when you were 12 years old that I think a lot of people can relate to. Can you tell that story? Oh, absolutely. This is one of, you know, this is the cream of the crop of my childhood love life. I was not cute, uh, not hot, not sexy, none of those things. And so anytime that someone showed any sort of initial attraction in any way to me, I would sort of shut down because I thought it was fake. And there was a boy that I was just absolutely in love with so head over heels for this boy and he asked me out over AOL instant messenger and I asked my mom for permission if I could say yes and she said it was okay so I told him yes and I was so so excited because I loved this boy for probably two years and when you're 12 that's like a good point that's <laughs> a good chunk of your life and then within the hour I had a full meltdown because I didn't know how to handle it I didn't know what love was I even though I loved this boy I just could not handle the thought of anything more than friends with him and I cried so hard and I was like mom I can't date this boy I'm just a kid and she said if you want to break up with him it is okay so I wrote him a letter and the next day when I saw him at camp, I gave him the letter and I walked away. And now he's gay. So it all turned out fine. I love that story. Every sentence just brings another twist and turn all to this big lead up that he is now gay. You deserve an Oscar for best original screenplay for that story. You said that when you were in high school, you would be the target of a lot of those popular boys asking you out quote-unquote, on a dare. That is something that I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have experienced as well, and it can be pretty damaging on a person's mental health, perception of themselves, and ability to trust in future relationships. Can you talk about that experience in high school and how it impacted your mental health and perhaps impacted your future relationships? I think the biggest thing about 
those experiences is I remember every single person who did that. And I feel like a lot of people who've gone through similar things feel the same. Like, I remember names. I remember it so clearly because it's just such a horrible feeling because I don't think anyone thinks it's real at the time. I think it's always so obvious that this is a joke and you're sort of the target of this joke and they're all laughing at you. And I don't know. I think it's a horrible thing to do. And like I was saying, I would always shut down if people showed me any initial attraction. And I think this had a big part in that all throughout high school. If anyone showed me any interest at all, I would change my mind. Even if I liked them for like the other guy, two years, or even if it was several months, I would just not be able to do it anymore. And I think this was sort of indirectly a part of that, the whole fake asking out. I don't think I would shut down because I thought it was fake, but I think that definitely triggered something in my mind that this could be something that's not good. I think I got over it, like in college, that never really affected me. It doesn't really affect me now, but in high school, when you're self-esteem is really trying to pick up the pieces as it crumbles sometimes it was a really big problem so you had your first real boyfriend when you were 17 years old talk about that yes my first boyfriend such a sweetie um i really think that in classic high school fashion it was a case of i liked him and he didn't like me but all of our friends kind of pushed him into thinking that he liked me, which is fine. And we ended up fine. We were friends after, but at the time it was probably not the best foundation to ask someone out on if you're not totally sure yourself that you like this person. But it was maybe a three-month relationship, if that. We kissed two and a half times uh, because one of the times we missed, which was very cute and embarrassing. And he was my first kiss, and the first time we kissed, it was like tiny little mosquito lips. It was so sweet. So after high school, you attended Florida State University for college, where you majored in theater, which was actually your second choice of a major because your first choice had been music therapy. By the way, I'm going into acting as my career, and I'm hoping to go to like drama school for university, and I was just thinking, it's so crazy how like one person's biggest dream is another person's second choice. But enough about me. Um, When you were in college, your mental health struggled a lot and some of the people who you surrounded yourself with ended up hurting you instead of helping you. Can you talk about that? I think the biggest thing that I had to learn through my whole first year of college was you can't be overly trusting of people. I think it's easy to be overly trusting of people when you are in a middle school, high school setting because you're really all just kids. If somebody wrongs you, it's not that, I don't know, at least for me, it wasn't that devastating. It was easier to avoid. But when you're in college and you leave your family, I think maybe what I'm trying to say is the difference is you're in a much more vulnerable position in college and probably much more vulnerable than you think you are at first. When I went to college, I didn't have the whole crying because I was separated from my family. I really didn't feel sad. I love my family, but I didn't have that issue with the separation. So I think I thought I was handling it okay, and I think because of that, I let people in that I thought would be good for me that ended up being really horrible. And 
To anyone who is going into college or early in college, I would just say you can't be overly trusting of people because something that I've learned is it actually takes a really long time to get to know somebody. Now that I'm out of college, making friends takes probably a year, maybe more sometimes, to actually get to know someone. And when you're in college and you're in this environment where, ooh, you're all living together and, oh, you're so cool, you can do whatever you want, no rules, then you think you really know somebody. And what happened was I let someone in that ended up taking my vulnerability and really twisting it in a way that was kind of to their advantage and to my detriment. And it got so bad that my parents almost pulled me out of school. I have a really vivid memory that I won't go into too far, but I was at home for winter break. It was a few days before we were supposed to come back. And it was like my first and only true mental break. Like, not even a breakdown or an emotional breakdown. Like, it felt like my brain had snapped in half. I feel like there's an episode of SpongeBob that I remember from a kid where his brain snaps because they're all, I don't know, maybe it's one where all of them shrink and they're all climbing inside his body. That's literally what it felt like. And I, it was horrible. Like, I've never seen red before like I have in that time. And my parents almost pulled me out of school. It was really horrible. And no one should have to go through that. And I think it, even though it was such a horrible thing to go through, it really brought me closer to the good people in my life, even in that friend group that had bad seeds. Because all of this happened, I was able to form better bonds with people that I never would have expected. So it was really just a lot of lessons learned a lot that I learned about myself, and it has taken a lot of time, maybe up until a few months ago, to even be able to think about that situation, because I definitely couldn't talk about it before, let alone think about it, or it would make me just so upset. But I really feel like I'm at peace with it now. I don't ever think you have to forgive people who have wronged you. I certainly don't, but I can forgive them in my head and I can make peace with that situation and I cannot want bad things to happen to those people and at the same time I don't ever want to see them again if that makes sense. So you graduated college with a bachelor's degree in theater and you moved out to Philly feeling confident and ready to take on adult life but then you realized that you didn't really know what you were doing and that led to a spike in your anxiety and a bit of an identity crisis. Can you talk about life right after college? I think life right after college, it was really the first time that I realized I don't know who I am anymore. I don't really know what my interests are outside of my college friend circle. And I think I was so spoiled with amazing friends in college and just an incredible group dynamic that when I moved to a place I'd never been to before, I didn't know anybody. The only person that I knew was a friend of my boyfriend's who I had never met. My roommates were total strangers who I actually met on Craigslist, which very sketchy situation on paper. It was two guys who were about 10 years older than me looking for a roommate on Craigslist. Turned out to be the nicest people, but... I could not talk to them. When I moved to this new place, I didn't know how to talk to people anymore. And I'd always been so extroverted and so just, I'll say whatever. And I love everybody. And as soon as I got here, those roommates were my first experience of, I don't know who I am anymore. 
and I had a huge spiral over it. I remember living with them, and again, I have nothing but good things to say about them. They were always so nice to me and just incredible people, but I remember I would stay in my room and avoid eating because I was too afraid to go to the kitchen and potentially run into them and wonder what I would say. They were both just so smart, and I think I was really intimidated by that, that, oh, I was this little girl, and I didn't really know what I was doing, and I was so afraid of saying something stupid. And that one situation is a perfect example of every interaction that I've had since I moved here, at least for the first year. I was so afraid to talk to anyone because I was afraid I'd say something. And I got into this really bad anxious habit of visualizing a situation that was not real where someone was mad at me or was talking about me or felt some type of way about me no factual basis this was actually happening but if I visualized it enough before I knew it it became true in my head so for example my roommates I thought they were talking shit about me all the time no reason to think this but in my head I imagined what they could possibly say about me so much that I thought they were saying those things. It was a really horrible period of self-sabotage, and I didn't realize I was doing this until very recently, a few months ago. And I think I've been doing these horrible visualizing cycles for years now, and I just kind of wonder how many relationships have I sort of locked myself out of? How many people have I kept myself from getting closer to because I thought myself into a fight with them or something. It even affects my friendships that I've had for years. There have been a couple times where I've had to talk something out with a friend because I have been ignoring them, not talking to them. And then I realize, oh, I was not talking to you because I thought you were mad at me because I visualized that you could be mad at me. Which is so stupid to say, but if you experience it, it's such a real thing. So I'm really thankful that I've sort of figured this out and I'm able to work through it because it is not good or healthy to think this way because it really leads to self-sabotage. The people listening can't see, but I was sitting here nodding along to everything you said. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I have horrible social anxiety and everything you said from avoiding basic necessities like eating just so you could avoid talking to people to cutting people out of your life for weeks at a time because you would visualize some situation where they don't want you. I have experienced all of that. And like you, I'm a naturally extroverted person. Connecting to people is what life is all about, and it's why I have this podcast and why I'm going into acting, etc., etc. But my anxiety, which I view it as like some dark essence that is not a part of me, but rather like possessing or inhabiting me just because I am naturally a very la-di-da, let's all hug and kiss and reenact the tunnel scene and perks of being a wallflower type of gal. Anyway, my anxiety stops me from my own life, if that makes any sense. Like, I've cut off so many friends, I'm unable to communicate what I really mean most of the time. My attention in school suffers because of all the anxiety and panic going on inside and all of that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm so happy to hear that you've sort of worked through these issues because that makes me think that there may be some hope for me. (laughs) But yeah, there's a bit about me and my life that nobody asks for. 
You said that you've been in love twice in your life. I want to hear about your current relationship, but before we dive into that, can you tell us about your first love? And I know you don't want to go too deep, but whatever you can say. Yeah, so I'm not going to dive too far into this. Uh, You never know who's listening, but first love was in college. It was a relationship that was about a year and a half long. And there were some really great parts of the relationship and some really not so great parts. And at the time, I thought that was how all relationships were. But now I know that's not always the case. I think with my first relationship, it was just that we were both young and we thought we knew how to treat people and we really just didn't. And I think that I also had the mindset of opposites attract and, oh, it's like we're perfectly, like two puzzle pieces perfectly fit together. Opposites do not attract. If you are an optimist, do not date a pessimist. Uh, That is just kind of a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. And again, I don't wish any ill will on this person, but I also don't think you have to be friends with your exes. I used to be very much a... I want to be friends with everybody. I want everyone to like me. But that is not necessary. You don't have to be friends with your exes. In fact, I encourage you not to be friends with your exes. But it's okay to forgive situations. It's okay to forgive things that have happened to you in the past and make peace with it inside without ever needing to talk to those people again. So I learned a lot. I'm thankful that it happened. And I'm also very thankful that I am past that relationship now and that I have a greater understanding of what the love that I need is. And now you're in a loving relationship with a man who you've been dating for three years. Let's hear about how you two met and a Sparknotes version of your love story. I love talking about this. I know that's so annoying, but whenever people say, tell me how you met Brendan, I'm like, Okay, I would love to. (laughs) Um, So we met in college. I was a senior. It was mid-2017. And I knew about him first from his Twitter because we had a lot of mutual friends and his tweets would always pop up on my feed because they're so funny and they would make me laugh out loud and humor is a big thing for me so I was like I need to know who this guy is like we have mutual friends never heard of him otherwise but I need to know who he is his tweets would show up on my feed because they were always so funny and I love humor but the thing that brought us together was he made a Hulk Hogan parody account called Sulk Hogan where he would tweet as Hulk Hogan but sad and it made me laugh out loud and all of my friends were crazy over this account and we all needed to know who it was and when I found out it was him I was like okay this is my in so I dm'd him one day probably just talking about that we sort of messaged back and forth before we decided we needed to meet up and so we met officially at a karaoke bar with each of our groups of friends and I wasn't initially like, whoa, in love. I just thought he was really cool and really funny. And I found out later that he was in love with me from the very beginning. We basically became best friends over the next few months. And the entire time he was pining for my love, he's going to (laughs) be, I don't know if he's going to be annoyed when he hears this. No, I think he'll love it. Um, Because it's true. But he basically 
sorry. So we were friends, very close, very fast, and not in a way, this may contradict what I was saying earlier, but I did feel very trusting and there were no red flags. So the fact that we got close so fast didn't feel wrong. And it was also more of a, he got close with our whole friend group and not just me. Uh, a few months in, he told me that he liked me and I was having sort of a gay crisis at the time. Uh, I was also graduating a month from that point. So it was just a lot of complicated factors. And I didn't say no, but I didn't say yes. So we continued being friends. And the short version of from that point to when we started dating was we would just hang out one-on-one -on -one more and more, kind of sitting closer and closer together every time. And then we kissed and other stuff and so eventually after I graduated because I really didn't want a relationship and so I graduated and I left but when you don't want a relationship but you're calling the person every single day that's when you should kind of clue into the fact that this is a good thing and on New Year's we met up and went to I don't know, we went out with friends and that was when we decided we didn't really want to see anyone else. And even though it was long distance, we were going to make it work. So we were long distance for about 10 months. It was about a four hour drive away. And then he moved to Philly to be with me. And now we live together. So it's been really great. If I could choose my love story, I would choose for it to begin on Twitter with a Hulk Hogan parody account. <laughs> You're out here living the dream, Kate. Um, would you be able to expand on that gay crisis that you mentioned? Yeah, so when I was, after my breakup with my first relationship, I was having a really hard time with my sexuality. And I knew that I was bi or pan or whatever. I usually like to say bi because, you know, not to go into too much detail, but based on experiences I've had, pan for me sort of excludes trans people in a way or makes trans people seem like an other category um that's a long story but i say bye and so one summer i was having a really hard time figuring out if i liked girls or not and i remember someone told me who was in a relationship with a girl a girl in a relationship with a girl uh, i sought out her advice and she said maybe you think you know what love is with a man but maybe you've just never experienced that type of love like maybe there's a different type of love that could serve you better that you might like more and so I tried to only go for women and nothing ever really came of it I'm not a big I don't like hookups I don't do anything like that um you know I kissed a girl or two but that's as far as it went and what actually sort of stopped the gay crisis was Brendan because I felt like I kept getting pulled back in his direction. And that is obviously a sign, okay, I'm not only interested in women, but Brendan also, like I said, was sort of like a magnetic pole that I couldn't ignore. And I think that if I had never met him, I might've dated a girl, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything by never really having been in a relationship with a woman because Brendan is so special. 
So I guess I would say my gay crisis kind of got cut short. I <laughs> never got fully realized, but I'm not upset about it. I'm very thankful for it, actually. Now we're going to talk about ASMR. So you've been watching since, to use your own words, the beginning, Gentle Whispering's first year of YouTube, the beginning. Did you tell anybody that you watched ASMR or was it something you were more embarrassed about? I was 100% embarrassed for so long. I didn't tell anybody about it, especially because it was so small that I thought there could be no way that anyone I know knows about this. I remember my mom found out because I used to have this very strange habit of, I had a laptop at the time and that's how I'd watch the videos mostly. And I would lie in bed on my back with my laptop on my lap in my clothes from school, like I wasn't in pajamas, and I would fall asleep like that with the lights fully on. ASMR was very powerful for me. <laughs> and so my mom would walk in on me sometimes with the lights on, with my clothes on, with an autoplay ASMR playlist going like for hours. And I remember one time she said, why do you watch those whisper videos? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I guess I'll never talk to anyone about this ever again. <laughs> so embarrassed. So no, nobody knew. No one. Um, even though it was such a big thing for me, I did not tell a single person that I watched them. And then you started your own channel. Why did you choose to start the channel? Who did you tell? How did people react when they found out? Let's hear about it. I made my channel probably six months before I ever uploaded my first video. I think the embarrassment was a big part of that. It was sort of a, am I going to do this? No, I'm not going to do it. But am I? Because I want to. I don't know. And when I finally did, I think it was just a, I love ASMR. I want to just do it for fun. I did not expect it to take off. I just kind of wanted to see where it went. I remember, I think I told the person I was dating at the time, that I was thinking about doing it, or maybe that I uploaded my first video, but didn't tell them anything else past that point. And I think my second video that I ever uploaded was some makeup role play, because I remember my first video was me tapping on stuff, you couldn't see my face, but my second one, I was like, okay, people can see my face, because this isn't gonna go anywhere, right? And that video kind of microscopically blew up on a very small scale. I think I went from under 100 subscribers to probably 1,000. And I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. I could keep doing this. Maybe I'm good at this. And the video that exploded was Bitchy Friend Does Your Makeup. I was watching a lot of Minx Lore 123. I still do. She's amazing. And I loved her bitchy role plays. I think she was the first one that I had ever seen do something like that. And I was like, I just want to try this. Whatever. No one's going to see this, right? Nobody that I know is ever going to see this. And that video blew the fuck up. You know, things now, of course, blow up bigger than that did. And even at the time, stuff, you know, could go, could go more viral than that. But I remember people coming to me and saying, girl, you went viral. And I was like, I did? Me? And it was crazy. I think at the time I had maybe 10 or 11,000 subscribers. And that was when people started telling me, or sorry. And that was when people started finding me and messaging me and saying, 
is this you? Like, this video is kind of blowing up. What is this? And I was so scared and embarrassed, but at the same time, I kind of liked it. I love attention. I mean, really, who doesn't love attention? But I love attention. And so I was scared, but part of me was like, mm, I need to keep going. Like, I wonder what I could do next. So your channel was, dare I say, an instant success. Your second video, like you said, got you to a thousand subscribers. You've been tweeted by people with huge followings like Tyler Oakley. I want to hear all about your successes on YouTube and also anything you have to say about sort of the dark side of social media and any doubts you had along the way. So I think that the biggest milestone was definitely the bitchy friend video. When I first started taking off, I remember the first thing that sort of catapulted that was common gay boy tweeted me i didn't follow them at the time i don't know if they're still popping but at the time common gay boy was i'm pretty sure where most viral tweets would start or at least they would always cycle through and i remember they posted a screenshot of that video and that's what friends were sending to me i was like oh shit what is this <laughs> and uh, like you said tyler oakley also tweeted a screenshot it was not a huge thing it was i think in a reply to somebody else but still that was kind of crazy uh other milestones really i don't really feel the milestones i remember when i hit 50,000 i did like a live stream and that was really cool but the milestones as far as subscriber count go are not super impactful to me to feel which I don't know if people would feel weird hearing that people who watch me I'm of course really thankful and I'm so excited when people subscribe to me but when I hit 100,000 I'm pretty sure I was like pooping like I don't it wasn't like I was waiting in a party hat for the number to go up like I don't really watch that kind of stuff so milestones to me are more like when Life is Mac followed me back on Instagram. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> or mostly milestones are involve people that I admire, that I watch. If they follow me back, or I don't know, they want to collab, that's really cool to me because that's a little bit more concrete than just a number ticking, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, so as far as the dark side of social media, I really try to stay away from it, social media in general, because of dark side stuff so maybe i'm not as in tune with the dark side as other people um to me i think the darkest parts of social media are the drama drama channels um i think some people have things to say about cancel culture and of course there are some unhealthy parts of that although i think some people do deserve to be quote-unquote canceled sometimes depending on what they've done and I think the best thing you can really do is stay away from it. When I stopped going on Twitter, I was so much happier. Excuse me. When I stopped going on Twitter, I was so much happier, and I had no idea that I was even depressed because of it in the first place. Same with Facebook, Instagram less so, but social media in general is just not good for my brain, and I think that that has really helped me avoid any dark moments. I haven't really gotten any haters, any hate comments. I'm just kind of brush off, whatever. But the best thing that I have done to avoid the bad parts of social media is to just not look at it. It's been really great for me.
And that brings us to today. You've recently decided to have a career change, and I am so humbled that you've chosen this podcast to break the news. Tell us about that. So, like we are talking about, I had a degree in theater. Obviously, because of COVID, who really knows what's going to happen with that industry? And again, as we mentioned, it wasn't originally my first choice. Even though I was really happy with my decision at the time, ended up loving it, it was never really what I 100% wanted to do. Music therapy has been always in the back burner for me, but I never thought it was possible after I couldn't get into the program when I was in my undergrad. So because of COVID, I was sort of assessing all of this and really thinking about how can I keep going in theater after this? Is it even a possibility? Because I was really interested in sound design, audio engineering, and that's a lot of freelance work. It really came down to Sorry, my voice just went, (laughs) it really came down to, I don't want to freelance forever. I don't want financial instability forever. And I want to do something with other people that helps other people that I actually enjoy. So I started looking into music therapy again. And without diving too far into it, the whole rejection from undergrad was so devastating that kind of opening this back up again and opening up the possibility of being rejected again was a huge risk for me mentally, especially being in a pandemic, being at home. Everyone I think is very emotionally vulnerable right now, but it was a risk I really wanted to take. And I figured I could at least just see what's out there. And thankfully there was a school that would take me, even though I didn't have an undergrad in music. And Yes, I have not officially talked about this because, I don't know, I was just really worried. (laughs) I was like, what if I fail? What if I change my mind? That'll be so embarrassing, but I don't think that's going to happen. I am getting a degree in music therapy, and it's the happiest I've ever been. I love my classes. I really love what I'm studying, and it really makes me think that it's so crazy that 18-year-olds are expected to go to college and have an idea of what they want to do for the rest of their lives because I feel like I've only just now felt like I'm where I'm supposed to be, I'm doing what I want to be doing, and I know who I am. And I'm really excited about where it's going to go. And as far as the degree goes, it's a two-year program. When I'm done, it will basically be a bachelor's equivalency because you can't go into higher level programs until you have the bachelor's and you take the board exam and blah, blah, blah. And I am so busy all the time, kind of stressed, but I really couldn't be happier. This is definitely the happiest that I've ever been, mostly because I'm doing what I want to do. And as for ASMR, what is the future of KSMR? What can your viewers expect from you in the future? Well, just now I have a laundry list of video ideas in the notes of my phone. Whether those will ever come to light is a mystery, but really the future of KSMR is whatever I want it to be. I think for a long time, I would be so just creatively drained because I was so focused on what other people wanted me to do, what the trendy thing was to do now. What are other channels doing? Oh, they're doing so much better than me. Maybe I should do what they're doing. And it just really wore me down. And it was such an unhealthy mindset to sort of chase after what other people were achieving instead of just thinking about what I wanted to do. So that's sort of where I'm at now. 
the future of it is going to be whatever videos I want to create, they're going to be made. And one really exciting development that I think is really going to help me is I just hired a virtual assistant to run my emails and sort of handle brand deals for me. I have wanted to quit YouTube so many times because of the business side. I think that's been my most stressful point ever since starting it was once it became a business and it wasn't fun anymore, I didn't know what to do. So now I have someone who will vouch for me, who will make sure I get what I deserve and will set me up with the right people. And it'll give me so much more time to be able to do stuff that I want to do without ever having to worry about it. So I guess that's the future of it. It's whatever I want it to be, whatever brands I want to work with. Now I have someone who will help me with that. And I feel really optimistic about it. And that's our episode with KSMR. Don't leave just yet because I have some information to tell you guys. Kate, thank you so, so much for doing this interview. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I just want to say thank you so much. This has been really fun for me, and I really appreciate you asking me to do this. So thank you. You can find Kate on YouTube if you search KSMR. That's capital K-A-Y and then lowercase S-M-R. You can find her on Instagram at KSMR. That's K-A-Y-S-M-R. I have linked all of Kate's socials down below. As for me, you can find my ASMR channel on YouTube, Sephora ASMR. I also will have it linked in the episode notes of this podcast. Be sure to check out Character Diary on Instagram at Character Diary Podcast. Do you want to be featured on Character Diary? There is a form that is linked in the episode notes of this podcast that you can just fill out. I really want to hear your story and potentially interview you for the show, so be sure to check that out. If you want to get in contact with the podcast, email dearcharacterdiary at gmail.com. I also have another podcast called Film Diary, which there aren't any episodes out yet because I'm still finishing up some research, but they will be soon. You can find that on any podcast platform, Film Diary. It is also linked in the episode notes of this show, and you can find it on Instagram at Film Diary Podcast. You can also follow at the Sephora Diaries on Instagram, which is the main Instagram account for this whole podcast slash brand. I'm also currently, as I'm recording this, working on a website. I think it'll be out by the time that this podcast is posted. It will be called thesephoradiaries.com, and you can check the episode notes for the link once again. All my personal socials, my personal YouTube, personal Instagram, etc., etc., are all linked in the episode notes, and I think that's everything. Um, Thank you again so much for tuning in. Kate, thank you again for doing this. It's been a pleasure. You're so funny, and I loved speaking with you. And I just want to say really quickly before I go, for this round of interviews with ASMR creators, Kate was our last one. I will be back with more. 
However, I don't know how many weeks from now that will be. I do have some other interviews lined up with some young actors from Toronto that have worked on projects like Grand Army and The Umbrella Academy, if you have watched any of those. So you can stay tuned for that. And I will have more interviews with ASMR creators coming soon. However, I just... I got really swamped with school, to be quite honest, and I wasn't able to finish them in time. But that's just an update, and okay, have a, have a great week. <laughs> Bye.